what we do here is go back, 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 back. Episode 104 of the Two and a Half Marks Podcast. My name is David Savin, and as always, I am joined by my good friend Angelo Inglisa as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, Angelo, you've been begging for this shit, like a, you know, just desperately, desperately pleading pathetically to the fucking randomizer for some NXT. I mean, you've been joking. I need the fix, man. I need the fix. You're like when when Billy Kidman his his gimmick was he was a heroin addict when he was in the Ravens flock. You were like precisely like it, uh, and 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 we're here. We finally got it. It is a just beautiful piece of like prime NXT. Back when like if you were a wrestling fan and you didn't watch NXT, it was like what the fuck are you doing with your life? Like you could not call yourself a wrestling fan if you didn't watch NXT. NXT Takeover War Games. 2017, the first War Games match that they did at NXT. You know, Triple H just really, really feeling himself, bringing back a classic match from the old WCW days, uh, a match that delivers on a very high level uh, some really good shit. I, I remembered so much of this show. Like, Like, this was a very just, like, very memorable show all around between this, between the the McIntyre Andrade match, between the uh, the Velveteen Dream Malachi Black match, or Alistair Black, I guess it was at the time. Uh, really memorable show, hot crowd, really, really just beautiful slice of NXT in its prime peak era when in NXT TakeOver, those felt like the biggest fucking thing in wrestling. Like, you look forward to those so much more than WWE pay-per-views. You know, it, there wasn't an AEW at the time. So, like, in the United States, like, NXT takeovers were, like, the thing. That if you were a wrestling fan, you were on the edge of your seat going crazy for, waiting for. And they always fucking landed. They always delivered at just the fucking highest possible level. Amazing time to be a wrestling fan for NXT. Yeah, I forget when I like you had turned us on because it was like after the first WrestleMania, we you, you got that got me back into wrestling like 2017. Um, I forget what was the first takeover I watched, but I remember just being on the edge of my seat the entire time. The takeovers, it, it, like this era of wrestling in NXT, I it's gonna be hard to match. AEW had a little bit of that charm to start off, but like. It was the black and gold brand was perfect. It was so good. It was well booked. You had really long, meaningful storylines, a bunch of great characters, pay-per-views that were stacked to hell for only being five matches long. But each match there told a story and was meaningful in some way, whether it was setting something up for the future, debuting somebody new or just like a a blow off match uh, for a feud. They just did a great job of packing in. It's two and a half hours. We have five to six matches no more no less and we're gonna go through it and this card like exemplifies that there's so much good on here they have a bunch of different guys on here uh, and of course you can't go for this long without talking about this NXT era without um Mauro Ranallo just yeah, an Mauro. incredible incredible play-by-play guy one of the best to ever do it um it's a shame that he's no longer with WWE but I know he's working with some mixed martial arts company I'm not sure if it's UFC exactly but I know he's like uh, MM- UFC. he does 
Bellator. Okay. He's he was an MMA and boxing commentator for years and years and years, like a well-known one, well before he ended up in WWE. But he is like such a huge wrestling fan for so long that like WWE was like his dream job. And then JBL like bullied him <laughs> the company because JBL is a. If there is any one take that like is the official stance of of uh, fucking uh, the Two and a Half Marks podcast, um, JBL is a lot of not good storylines about JBL behind the scenes. Yeah, a hor- like by by all accounts, a genuinely horrible like man. Uh, yeah, basically bullied Mauro Ronaldo out of the company. Um, I'd much rather have Mauro Ronaldo in my wrestling company than JBL. That's for goddamn. Sure. I mean, look at how the Baron Corbin storyline went. Yeah, dog, dog shit, dog shit. But yeah, like for me, this era of NXT, like yeah, like you know, obviously we love Mauro. I really like this commentary booth. We get Mauro. We get uh, Nigel McGuinness, who like as a Ring of Honor fan, Nigel McGuinness holds a very special uh, place in my heart, and I really enjoy his commentary. And then Percy Watson, who was on NXT commentary for a little while, and I always liked him too. Like. Always brought good energy, you know. He was a good. Th- um, he was a good third guy because he he yeah. kind of brought the fan aspect onto the booth. Solid third guy, who, if I remember correctly, was a wrestler on like the shitty early NXT, one of the shitty early NXT seasons. I think he was. Um, and like, like solid third guy who brought energy, but also knew when to stay the fuck out of the way, mm-hmm. which like a lot of guys don't know when to do that. But like for me. This era of NXT is like one of my favorite periods of wrestling in any company because to me watching it, it felt very much like we were getting the best of both worlds in the sense that we were getting like the really super high level like indie ring of honor work rate in the ring mixed with like really good like what we would think of as like good WWE storytelling that like WWE hadn't really been doing, but like what you would imagine as like really good WWE storytelling in and out of the ring and mixed together really well. It was like everything that I wanted a like wrestling promotion to be. And it was like such a breath of fresh air when compared to main roster WWE. Oh, God. Main roster at this time was, was awful. Dog shit at the time. I mean, like, has been dog shit for a long time. Like, under Vince the last few years. Uh, but, you know, fingers crossed that, you know, hey, the rumors that he's going to be back in creative or whatever, I, I don't fucking know. It's all a bunch of people saying shit on the internet. I don't know what's true and what isn't. Uh, but, like... You know, it, like, it's just as shitty as you imagine, but it was like, we have, at least we have NXT, you know what I mean? We have this, these, like, this, this, this warm glow of this promotion that, like, just kind of gets it right on, like, basically every level. And, and we're, was just on that, you know, what, 2015, 16 to, like, 2019-ish, like, when AEW kind of slid into their role as, like, this is the, if you're a, like hardcore fan, you need to watch this now. Um, I kind of did what NXT was doing just on a bigger scale and like a little bit more like a little bit more diverse in what you were seeing. Um, but like for that period, it was like just, you know, it kept you going as a wrestling fan. 
in addition, like what you say, like the, all the things coming together, you had that old school presentation too, where you have a spotlight on the ring and the crowd is just darked out. Like it's only, you can only really see the wrestlers and that's where your entire focus is. There's no, while the fans are always cool and like make WWE kind of WWE in terms of like being a spectacle, just the pure storytelling that you like is focused on the ring. You could tell that everything about what was going on was supposed to be at the two people or whoever was in the ring at the time. It did the fans didn't matter. They could have been doing this in front of an empty house. It, it I, was, it, I honestly it, couldn't disagree with you more on that. I, I, the, I the fans I, were I, alive. I, Don't get me I, wrong. I like the fans lit up. I think it makes the product more vibrant. Uh, and, and like, you want to see the fans going crazy because that's the whole point of the fucking show is the fans. But it was so good. It didn't matter. That's what, I mean, that was like the, one of the biggest, like, like leaps forward in presentation wise that WCW kind of launched in the nineties with Nitro when they completely revolutionized the way wrestling was like promote, like presented on national TV was like. You know, WWF had had the crowd fucking, you know, had had done that, you know, for years where it was like, you know, they 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 fucking powered down the crowd and like you couldn't it was just to focus on the wrestlers. Like when you can see when it's all lit up and it's all vibrant and all these different colors and you can see all the fucking bands and shit, that's what makes the product look like a bigger deal. I'm I'm not saying that. I disagree with you because I do think that that's like a big difference. You disagree with me. You're saying no, 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 no. You're not letting me finish because I, I, it depends on what you're presenting in the ring and like how you're trying to present yourself. NXT being presented kind of like as this niche underground thing that was like not dedicated for hardcore fans. So I think anyone who watched it would have been great, but it was not the primary content of WWE. So like, I think that in its own way, that was its way of saying, Hey, even though this is all great, this is not the main stuff that we want you to be here for. As weird as that sounds to say, I think that when you get to that level, like I do not get what you're trying to say here. It was just a way to differentiate, differentiate between main roster and NXT. Yes, that is, that is true. More or less. They're the same thing with different bookers. It's just that with NXT, the presentation style was a lot more, I think they were trying to make it simulate like a closed circuit territorial feel as opposed to a big spectacle. I disagree completely because it doesn't look like that at all, but I don't know. Uh, either way, we can't agree that the shit rock. It was I awesome. Mean, <laughs> the show was great. Um, like all the way through um, five matches, all of them very different. All of them really what they needed to be uh very very entertaining very very entertaining show from start to finish um and very memorable i mean it's just like watching this back i just remembered so much specific shit from this show because again i mean as a wrestling fan at this time like nxt was like the thing you know if if you weren't like if you were like one of the freaks that was like watching new japan like i was um, like just mainlining every New Japan show, like NXT was was it at this time, um, and would continue to be for for a little while longer um, until they got uh, shit on in the uh, the ratings war by AEW, and then Vince freaked out and, <laughs> and, ruined, and then ruined everything as he tends to do. Have but you yeah. forgiven Evil yet? Nah, that son of a bitch. Fuck Evil. <laughs> I fucking you know I, I I own one I own one New Japan T-shirt. It's an Lij shirt. 
And uh, so I, I'm committed. I'm committed to the fucking. I, I, I am a loyalist, man. I'm an, I'm an LIJ loyalist. I will never, for, I will never forgive evil for doing what he did. I'll never forgive fucking Dick Togo for doing what he did. He's shit. <laughs> anyway. Uh, sounds like we're ready to remember some guys, Ange. Let's remember the guys, David, and we start off with a couple of problematic fellas right off the bat. Sure, I mean, not not like yeah, like in the first couple of matches. Sure. Not both of them in the first match, but yes, two in the yes, first I, two I matches. I don't want to implicate uh, no. Chris Crow, who I have met and is an extremely nice man. Uh, uh, I, I do not want to implicate him in anything. We, we, we really support Chris Hero on this podcast. Pro Chris Hero uh, podcast. Yes. Um, so... It is November 18th, 2017. We are at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas, home of the Houston Rockets, who were still good at the time. James Harden was lighting it the fuck up. This was like peak James Harden. P.J. Tucker at the center. Yeah, the tuck wagon. Come on, man. That that team fucking ruled. Eric Gordon, though. Why do, why do people not like Eric Gordon? He's good. He's a crybaby in New Orleans. Who He's- fuck? Oh, okay. who cares? No one gives a shit about I do. Shit. I, therefore, someone gives a shit because I do. Good player. He's a good player. Good role player. You know, can give you 20, can shoot, he can defend a little bit, you know, doesn't doesn't demand the ball. Solid player. Dave Meltzer estimates maybe around 5,700 people or around that total in the building tonight. So not a sellout, but, you know, decent crowd. Uh, and they're pretty hot for pretty much everything because the show gives them plenty to be hot for including the revival of the classic old War Games match. Hadn't been done in a very, very long time. Uh, of course, the brainchild of the late, great Dusty Rhodes, one of the signature matches of WCW, especially in the late 80s, early 90s. The three top groups in NXT are going to be facing off in a match that will be absolute chaos. This is back when... You know, they only did a few uh, NXT big events, a few NXT like big events a year, and they were always tied to like the big four pay-per-views. This one was tied to the Survivor Series, the one that had that awesome AJ Styles Brock Lesnar match. Remember that one? That one was fucking great. Didn't AJ win the title off of Jinder like three weeks prior or something like that? Because it was like, we're doing Jinder versus Brock, really? <laughs> And then AJ beat him in, like, I think it was, like, just right in an episode of SmackDown, if I remember correctly. Like, uh-huh. they were in England. They were, like, a, like doing one of the England trips or whatever. And then AJ beat Jinder on, like, SmackDown. And we were like, thank fucking God. <laughs> we have to watch Jinder versus Brock. Um, but, yeah, classic area, uh, classic area of NXT. Couldn't afford to miss these takeovers. And, uh, you know, we get the video package that has William Regal yelling war games. Fucking no one has ever no one has ever yelled a single word more impactfully in human history than William Regal yells the word war games. It makes makes you quake in your loins the way that man yells the word war games. You know, they're going to try and desperately get AEW to allow Regal to appear for Survivor Series so you could say war games again. Yeah, I mean, they don't need to do that. He's employed by WWE now. He, he is. By th- I, wasn't there something in their agreement where he can't appear on TV for a year? I don't fucking know. Well, I mean, like, I think by Survivor Series, when they do War Games again, presumably, he'll he'll probably be fine, you know? Come on, you gotta get Regal to yell War Games, buddy. I mean, if you're Tony Khan, and that's if that's the case, Tony Khan, you gotta do some business, buddy. You gotta, you gotta let it happen. Come on. Say you love wrestling, you gotta let, you gotta let Regal yell War Games. Um... 
we like we said, Morrow, Ronaldo, Nigel McGuinness, Percy Watson on the call. I thought it was funny. Literally, the first thing you see in the crowd when the video pack, like the opening video package, ends is a guy waving a huge Kenny Omega banner. I had the same <laughs> note. I was like, oh, that's funny. The, the goodbye and good night like banner thing. Um, and we start off with. Uh, a guy who I consider a fucking mega legend in pro wrestling. It is Cassius Chris Hero Ono leading off the show wearing gear that is made up to look like a Duke basketball uniform. Chris Hero, a massive Duke basketball fan. If you follow him on Twitter. It's like all he fucking tweets about is Duke basketball. <laughs> uh, Let me go follow him real quick. Go Duke. Fuck Duke. Um, and Chris Hero... Cassius Ono, it's always hard for me to not call him Chris Hero, even though that wasn't officially his name uh, at this point. Uh, he is out here against this young freak, Lars Sullivan, who they are pushing big time. Uh, he's like the kind of next you know, monster heel to come up through NXT. And Chris Hero, 20-year uh, vet, is out here to make uh, Lars Sullivan look good. And goddamn, that's what he's going to do. Uh, Lars Sullivan, of course, a truly bizarre, very <laughs> weird that he had um, a lot of very problematic stuff about him that he'd said on the Internet. And, uh, you know, you know, again, do you career, ch- career choices as well? Very strange, just a very strange career. Um, but they were pushing him hard at NXT at this time. They really saw something in him. Um and probably the maybe the single most random guy to have ended up in a uh, Dave Meltzer five star match. <laughs> um, five star Lars, baby. Five star Lars. That unbelievable uh, ladder match from what is it, NXT Takeover New Orleans? I think. I think so. Yeah. Holy shit! That that one was crazy. Um, but yeah, it is uh, Lars and Cassius Ono. Um, Lars Sullivan, the pointiest beard in history. Uh, maybe he's going to try and poke Chris Hero's eye out with it. That might be his, his tactic. I don't know. Um, there, I, I thought it was funny. Like they're selling Lars as this like colossal fucking giant. And then he gets in the ring with Chris Hero and Chris Hero's like noticeably bigger than he is. I mean, like Lars wasn't tall. He was like a wide, he was know, thick, wide, thick guy. But so is Chris Hero. Like he's like not really noticeably bigger than Chris Hero in like any way. Um, so yeah. But again, um, Chris Hero, tremendous worker, one of the best strikers, one of the best forearm throwers that graces has ever graced pro wrestling. The reason that I throw a rolling elbow in my matches, um, brief, hard hitting match. Um, again, a lot of good strikes. Um, Lars working heel hits a diving shoulder tackle to the floor, drops him face first onto the apron. Um, Kills him with a big uh, pop-up power slam. Goes up to the top rope. Misses a diving headbutt. Cassius Ono gets his comeback. Hits a bunch of strikes. Hits the elbow to the back of the head. It's a jumping forearm to the back. Lars doesn't go down. Finally bumps him with a cyclone kick for a near fall. He keeps like kicking him in the face. And Lars is firing up. No cell and just screaming at him. Ono responds by doing the like Brian Danielson stomps on him. Yeah, Blackpool uh, Combat Club really ripped off Cassius Ono there. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> Danielson was doing those way before the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, but yeah. Um, yes, 
Chris Hero, if he was still like actively wrestling, which he isn't, he just still kind of kind of just goes around doing seminars now. But uh, if he was still actively wrestling, he'd be a great fit for the Blackpool. He Combat. would. I would like. Was of course uh, tag team partners for many years with Claudio Castagnoli, the Kings of Wrestling. They were phenomenal. I mean, one of my favorite teams of all time. So I mean, he would he would be in the BCC Hundo P all the way. Uh, but yeah, he does the he does the stomps. Um, hits a senton. Lars kicks out at one. Cassisono hits the rolling elbow, goes for another one, but then Lars catches him straight into his finisher, the freak accident. Lars gets the pin, wins the match, five minutes and 13 seconds. Again, Lars pretty green, but this is kind of what this match needed to be. Short, hard hitting makes Lars look good. Yeah, freak accident, great name for a finisher, but like kind of a dumb looking finisher. Like, it's just essentially you're picking the guy up and putting him down, like you pick things up and put things down. Yeah, uh, I take I've taken one of those before. It's like, it's it's really just like all on how you sell the face bump. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like you have to sell the fuck out of it because it's like, yeah, you're just getting put down on your, like it's not really like that big of an impact of a bump. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, yeah, you go down and take a face bump. I don't know. Yeah, uh, not great. Uh, but the match itself, like, Loris is not going to ever be confused with a great worker. But, like, this was a pretty solid match. And this is despite the fact, like, you know, Lars is super green. And Ono is really only using face kicks, elbow shivs, and, and just, like, very basic rudimentary offense. It's really good. Lars visually, like, you could easily see what WWE and Vince saw in him. Just, like, he does kind of, like, give you the hints of Lesnar in terms of just how he is, like, how he's built. Not as uh, Lesnar being an extra, like, four inches taller than him, though, like, really separates Lesnar from other guys built like Lars Sullivan. Uh, but the funniest thing for this match, or, like, the thing that I took out more was, uh, I forget who said it on commentary, but calling him Lenny from Mice and Men. Yeah, I think that was, uh, I think that was a Nigel line. Just spot on. And I don't think yeah. you could ever recover from that. That was the, I mean, that was like the whole idea of the Lars thing was like, he was just like, he was just a weird guy. You know what I mean? It was like. His gimmick was, was that he was weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, was, it was like, a, like I, don't, I don't know how like they expect, how far they expected that gimmick to really go because it's like, yeah, he's kind of a big, sort of weird looking guy to look at. He's got sort of a, a weird body shape. He's like, you know, his head's enormous, like his he's like kind of thick but not like you know he's hairy you know he's kind of pale and clammy and sweaty and like sort of just weird looking and his gimmick is that like yeah he's just kind of like a like just kind of a creepy social guy. outcast like if you read if you read his wikipedia uh page which is just as wild as we've his, described his wikipedia page is a hell of a ride <laughs> it is insane utterly insane uh, I hope that he's in a mentally better space now, despite how problematic he is. Like you just read everything about that. It's just like, man, that guy had some demons, has a lot yeah. of demons. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it basically like ended his main roster run, like mm -hmm. before it ever really began. Cause he just like, you know, mentally couldn't do it, you know, which sucks for him, man. Yeah. I mean, again, like I know he's like, he's, he's said some, He's not innocent. Say problematic things on the internet in the past, but let's just hope that uh, uh, Five Star Lars is in a uh, better and healthier mental place today. I don't, I don't, I don't know what he's, I don't know what he's up to, what he's doing in his life. He stated uh, that he was done wrestling as of uh, February third, twenty twenty one. But you know, people say that all the time. They come back. 
who knows what uh, Lars has in store for the rest of his yeah, career. Especially, especially with him being like, I mean, he's he's younger. He's in his like what his thirties, right? Something like that, like early thirties. I mean, didn't have doesn't have a lot of like miles on him. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, he is a guy that like theoretically, if someone were to give him a chance, which obviously is like a uh, rather speculative idea there, but. Uh, he's a guy that you would figure like could have a, a, a strong run in him, you know, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of weird shit going on with that guy. Who the fuck knows more weird shit coming up next. Yeah. But th- I mean, this is again, like this, this match is what it needs to be, right? Like it's, it's nothing crazy. Like you have a guy in Lars who is n- really fresh on the scene. He's pretty green, obviously, he, uh, you know, like, like I said, he's pretty green. Uh, he's just first getting that push, right? He's getting that first kind of run in WWE. Um, and they, they want to make him look strong. Obviously, they see something in him. You put him in there with somebody like Hero, who is a, a, a wrestler's wrestler, a longtime vet, a guy who I can you know, personally attest to his mind in pro wrestling guy is just really a fucking a wrestling genius. Amazing hand. Like he was the guy that always put, ended up putting over the new guy. Like his match with riddle was super fun. Yeah. Um, riddle, absolutely. Uh, I think he, he did it with Velveteen dream as well. He was like always the guy that like, it was like your first, when he was in NXT, it was like your first feud. If you're like that, if you're starting to get like, get a, a run, you know, the first guy they put you in there was hero. Because he knew how to make everybody fucking look great, and it takes a lot. It takes a lot of like you know, I won't say self awareness, but you have to be a certain kind of person to be the uh, guy who's letting everyone kind of go over you, especially like uh, at this stage. Yeah. Always, guy, got, always gotta respect for guys like that. If like Funaki was another one that seemed like he was always the uh, first heel feud that you got on the main roster. Extremely, extremely underrated worker. Uh, it, you know, here, yeah, Chris Hero, just a guy who understands the fucking game. You know, just understands the game. Cannot speak highly enough about Chris Hero. So, let's move on. Uh, we get a bunch of these cutaways, you know, showing guys at ringside. You know, NXT TakeOvers used to do that all the time. That was often the hottest free agent uh, spot. But you get a few guys from NXT UK, which they're kind of taking off at this point. Tyler Bate, Trent Seven, Mark Andrews, and Wolfgang all in the house. They show them first. Uh, next up, a match that we were all really on the edge of our seat for. And this was a very simple story, but a very gripping story. So good. Will Alistair Black say Velveteen Dream's name? I mean, Velveteen Dream, uh, one of the all-time just wastes in the history of pro wrestling, we're all so certain that this guy was going to be a fucking megastar. Can't miss WrestleMania, main eventer, all that shit. I mean, he just was the guy. And then he fucked it all up. The guy <laughs> was a perfect blend of Rick Rude and Macho Man. And just... Yeah. He was a he was a blend of Rick Rude, Macho Man, and Prince, <laughs> uh, and it worked. I mean, it just worked. He had this unbelievable charisma. 
He was like doing all this shit. He was like in his early 20s. You just pictured this incredible future of, of Velveteen Dream being one of the biggest stars in the business. And then, uh, well, do, do a quick Google search on uh, what he got up to uh, <laughs> that got, got him dumped from WWE. That was a fucking Jesus uh, Christ. He got arrested back in August 2022 and uh, apparently he just posted for the first time three days ago on social media so oh god i didn't see that i can only imagine what what he's up what, what what he's on about right now just a photo shoot but velveteen dream has you know this is when alistair black was kind of like through 2017 this was his first big push through nxt as he kind of rockets up the card he would become the champion the next year um was undefeated at the time he was the fucking badass dude kicking everyone's ass Velveteen Dream has fixated on Aleister Black. He desperately wants Aleister Black to acknowledge him, say his name, to, uh, to show him any attention at all. Um, and, yeah, again, take it as a given that Dream was going to be a megastar. This was a really, really memorable feud and a really, really memorable match. Um, so, yeah, uh, this remember this Aleister Black entrance? God damn it. So cool. As fuck the music worked the visuals worked it was perfect man i love this version of alistair black oh so goddamn cool there's a one thing about like one specific thing about like triple h nxt they really knew like they they really got how to like do entrances to make people like really look cool like, you know, like the Lars Sullivan entrance we didn't talk about with like the uh, kind of like the spotlight following him and like the fucking like um, like red path that he's walking on in the entrance mm-hmm. ramp. Like that kind of red, like looked cool. You Ono's know? theme. Like Ono is a jobber and his theme is so good. Yeah, Ono has one of the coolest fucking themes of all time. Um, yeah, the Cash Ono theme. Um, but yeah, um, like, it's just so fucking what? sick. I'm sorry. Why the hell did they change the Johnny Gargano theme again? Like, why? I, I well, fucking it, hate it. Rebel like, Heart was so good. I know. They did a shitty, like, like a shitty remix of Rebel Heart. I and mean, they've been doing that with almost everybody. Like, uh, you know, like, the like the, the people who made, like, the ranking entrances. Uh, themes CFOs. Yeah, CFOs. They're not there anymore. I think there's some, like, they, they have their, like, new in-house guy and they want to, like, switch all their shit over so there's no issue with the rights or whatever i don't know but like the person who makes them now whoever they are they're all the most generic fucking dog shit I mm-hmm. like almost every single theme that this person's made yeah they're all like they just all are so generic um but yeah uh sorry good back bring back rebel heart bring back that's one of my favorite fucking themes of all time you can't even get it on spotify anymore they they've completely taken it down no it sucks dude so many fucking bangers like choppa's theme yeah great all great um sucks um but i i get why champa champa like willingly got rid of that theme because it was like like no one will survive it's like it was like right after like we've had 75 mass shootings in the last yeah. few years Eh, I'm not sure I want this one anymore. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I get that. That's fair. I, I understand. That's fair. You know? Um, anyway. Um, Dream comes out wearing these like chaps over his tights. And then when he gets in the ring, he takes them off to reveal that he's got, he's doing the Rick Rude gimmick. He's got Alistair's face spray painted on his trunks on one side. 
and he's got his own face spray painted on the other side of his tights. Uh, very pointedly, Alistair Black not looking away, like looking away from him the whole time as he makes his entrance. The whole thing is Velveteen desperately wants his attention. Alistair's not gonna. He, Alistair's gonna make him fucking work for it, right? Uh, Velveteen getting huge chance from the crowd to start the match. I mean, this this the, the crowd is hot for this from the moment they get into the ring together. Um, you know, we do some chain to start off. Alistair out wrestling him. Uh, Alistair's love watching him when he does when he wrestles. Technically, love watching him. It's like very like very Brian Danielson ish, where it's like it's both like he's doing cool, flashy technical shit, but also like working the fuck out of it and making it look brutal. Like it's really good at it. Black's move set looks like a video game character. It's the way like he just has all the sickest combos you could ever hope for. Yes, I mean, yeah, he's like a fucking Street Fighter character. He's so fucking sick. Uh, everything he does looks awesome. Um. Alistair tosses him out of the ring, does his cool like where he does like the springboard moonsault and lands in like the like the cross-legged sit. Like Velveteen crawls into the ring and gets in his face. Um, so good. Velveteen gets up and like swivels his hips at him. You know, he's doing the whole Rick Rude thing. And then um, like Alistair like keeps looking away from him. The crowd is chanting, say his name uh, at, at Alistair Black. And then, like, Velveteen does the Alistair sit, so then Alistair crawls at him, like, like reverses the taunt at him. It, it's just, they're, like, a lot of this match, like, they didn't even really need to do that much to, like, get the crowd in. They were just doing each other's taunts at each other, and, like, that's all they needed to fucking do, because the crowd was so into this match, they didn't need to fucking really do shit. Um, Alistair uh, hot shots him, gets some heat, uh, continuing to spam the fucking taunt button throughout all of this. Um, hits a big super kick for a near fall. Uh, we have, of course, remember this guy, a uh, noted deathmatch wrestler and fucking ludicrous QAnon psychopath Drake Younger uh, refereeing this match before he oh, got that guy. out of WWE. Yeah. Um, he's back wrestling now wherever he can get fucking booked, which is like, you know, anywhere run by like psychos. Um, so like Alistair gets his comeback, you know, so so Dream, you know, he, again, he's copying all of Rick Root's gimmick. Um, he does the rude awakening neckbreaker actually for a near fall. Um, he ties Alistair up in the ropes. He's screaming, "What's my name?" At Alistair, Alistair comes back. He kicks him in the face. He hits a bunch of cool kicks in a row. Does his cool springboard moonsault uh, for a a, a a near fall. Get a really great striking exchange. Dream comes back with a rolling Death Valley driver. Um, Dream hits his like roll the dice kind of like twisting DDT. Alistair Black does one of the best spike bumps I've ever seen on this DDT. Like, the crowd goes crazy for it. You tried emulating that last week, I heard. <laughs> Not intentionally. Uh, I worked through it. I'm fine. Um, but, yeah. Uh, crowd loved that spot um, because Alistair sold the DDT so well. Um, we get this is awesome chance from the crowd coming to the end. Dream goes up for his uh, diving elbow drop, the purple rainmaker. He eats a boot, gets tied up in the ropes. Uh, we get kicks back and forth. Black hits a, um, like, a jumping, like, spinning knee on him. Uh, Velveteen sells it, goes down, he gets up. And Velveteen, like, starts yelling his name at Alistair. He's like, he's like, my name is Velveteen Dream. And, like, as he, like, is in the middle of this, he gets interrupted as he's saying his name 
by Alistair hitting him with the Black Mass, the coolest finisher in pro wrestling, ladies and gentlemen, the Black Mass. Uh, and Alistair hits him, knocks him out, gets the pin, ball game. He wins 14 minutes, 39 seconds. Afterwards, Alistair sits down next to Al- Velveteen Dream. Uh, just a moment that I will never forget in pro wrestling. So, so good. Alistair gets a microphone and he says, just simply, enjoy infamy, Velveteen Dream. And <laughs> him saying Velveteen Dream's name, just the simple act of him saying that. Crowd pops huge and Velveteen gets a look on his face like, oh man, he needs a new pair of tights right now. (laughs) Like, just perfect fucking sports entertainment from start to finish on every level. So fucking memorable all the way through. Love, love this shit. This is the good shit. One, that was a really good Aleister Black impersonation. I gotta give you props on that one. I had that line read in my fucking head for five plus years. (laughs) Remember it specifically, you know, to that, that line just hits so much harder now because he told the future. Yeah. He is infamous. It's so insane that that like it's Alistair Black, man. I really hope that we get to see him at a top level again because he does the cult leader shit so good. This like edgelord stuff. But it's not like. Yeah. It's not edgy for this. It's not Raven. House of Black, Black, cool as fuck. It is. I just, they need to get more time, man. Dude, Uh, I mean, they're doing House of Black versus the Elite at Revolution, and that match is going to make me fucking lose my shit. It's going to be so good. Unbelievable. I mean, there's there's no way that match isn't insane. He, I know he's had issues with like some health, some health issues, both mental and physical. I hope he's back 100%. I imagine that he probably is if he's wrestling again. But like, he's just got that charisma. He's got the... It's not Raven's charisma where it was kind of like middle school edgelord. He's got that like actual cult leader, not corny, like freak charisma, which is just so hard to manufacture. The man has the it factor. Because everything that he does, every single thing about him is completely unique. Nobody looks like he does. Nobody moves like he does. He cuts, you know, he cuts those kind of like. I almost, I almost want to say Bray Wyatt type sort of like, sort of like spooky, vague promos, but like you completely believe it. You know what I mean? He's good on like coolest fucking move set. Every single thing he fucking does looks awesome. The Black Mass is the coolest finisher in all of pro wrestling. Like everything about him is completely fucking unique. Bray has kind of leaned into being a little bit more deranged uh, since being, uh, you know, Bayou Bray. Whereas like Malachi has kind of stead the path of just like in the shadows, Illuminati, shady monster hunter thing. And just like it works. It works so well. Um, I love the entire story of this match. The feud itself, like you said, it's such a simple feud, but it's a great way to get two guys who are completely yeah. different. Like there's the, the, Alistair Black and Velveteen Dream, completely different characters, but they can build this yeah. feud because it makes sense. They're like, wh- okay, why would these two feud? Well, Velveteen wants to be famous and like be a guy everyone knows. Alistair does not give a shit about who Velveteen is. Perfect feud. Velveteen wants Alistair yeah. to say his name. It is so simple. It is so fucking simple, and it's just they do it perfect. It, it, like everyone plays their role perfectly, and it is a feud that yes, somebody has to lose at the end, but 
Dream ends up looking so much better at the end of the feud, even though he loses, he it still gets him over so fucking much. You know, it's the rare case too where there's no heel, there's no face, just two dudes who are completely over, and they're two guys who are over two guys who have completely unique and like interesting characters, and just fucking put them together and like make some fucking magic. And the story told too, like uh, Alistair had so much more experience in Velveteen at this point. Velveteen had only been doing this for three years, um, yeah. and like they tell that story perfectly. Alistair pretty much outsmarting, outmaneuvering Velveteen for most of this match, and then Velveteen just showing that like you know inexperienced fire that a lot of new guys will have, and just getting like finding his shots, finding his moments. It's just it, it it's to a perfection. This is match yeah. you could not have booked it better. This was like a yeah. ten out of ten. This, this whole feud, this and this match from start to finish, like they they literally could not have done it better. It was perfect. I mean, it was absolutely perfect. You know, like it's not necessarily like a a you know five star classic match, even though it's really good. But it's it's everything that it needs to be. It gets both guys over. They both look great, and you know that it's just it's just all the way through, just perfect fucking sports entertainment, baby. Love this shit. This is the good ass shit right here. So, also another thing, you know, I I I I make no bones about being a big AEW fan. Tend to enjoy AEW shit more than WWE, even though you know, like it's it's kind of become a trendy thing recently to shit on AEW a little bit. I think they have the last few months hit a little bit of a lull, which happens, right? But. One thing that I will put WWE over AEW for, I think Alistair Black, cooler name than Malachi Black. Agreed. Yeah. Cool. Just, uh, just uh, you know, both, both perfectly cool names, but I think Alistair Black is cooler. So, uh, <laughs> this is going to be our second Funaki mention of the night. Uh, <laughs> next, we get the over on Funaki. Crop <laughs> of people. Shown at ringside. We got Finn Balor. Okay. Uh, Asuka. Sure. And then Funaki is there. <laughs> All right. Uh, cool. Um, yeah. Asuka, Funaki, and Finn Balor at ringside for next up. The now vacant women's title. Who the aforementioned Asuka had uh, just relinquished. And she had gone undefeated throughout her entire NXT run and is now moving up to the main roster. She, she is giving up the NXT women's title. It's going to be contested in a fatal four-way between, you know, pretty much the four top women in NXT at the time and sort of the class after, like, the four horsewomen plus Asuka, you know, had gone up to the main roster. This is, these are the next top ladies in NXT. We have... Uh, uh, insane bitch Nikki Cross, who uh, camera work for all of Sanity's fucking entrances is going to give you vertigo, dude. <laughs> uh, but always enjoy Nikki Cross. I'm glad they're her. letting her go back to the unstable gimmick. Always have her. Always have enjoyed her in her psycho gimmick. She's very entertaining. Um, we've got Kyrie Sane, who the crowd fucking loves as they should because she's great. We've got Peyton Royce. Remember the remember the iconic? Oh, were- iconic. They were funny. They were legitimately funny. They were entertaining. Billy Kay is like one of the funniest women in the history of wrestling. It makes me lose my shit all the time. Um, and so another person who has always been cool, Ember Moon. Um, so these ladies understand the fucking assignment. 
It's got about 10 minutes. It's a four-way. Let's do a bunch of fucking spots and let's just like get straight to the shit. You know what I mean? Like this is a this is a a a 10-minute sprint, very fun spot fest. Uh it's gonna read off a bunch of shit that they do because they do a lot of shit. Um we get uh Double dives at the beginning. Ember hits a Pescado onto Nikki Cross as Kyrie hits a flying forearm off the apron onto Peyton. And then Ember gets back in the ring, does a suicide dive onto both uh, Peyton and, uh, and Kyrie, uh, whoever the fuck, uh, Peyton and Kyrie, I think. And then um, Ember hits a pop-up powerbomb uh, on the floor to Nikki Cross. Nikki is taken out of the match for quite a while after this pop-up powerbomb on the floor. Nasty fucking thump onto the onto the mat on the outside. Uh, get back in the ring. We get dueling Let's Go Ember and Let's Go Kyrie chants from the crowd. They are both over here. Um, Kyrie uh, goes for a running corner spe- hits a running corner spear, goes for another dive. Peyton cuts her off, traps her in this cool, like, kind of like double chicken wing, like through the ropes. Um, and then Ember, you know, super kicks her, breaks it up. It's a four-way match, so you can do submissions in the ropes. It's completely legal. Um, Kyrie uh, hits a spear on Peyton. It's a spinning back fist on Ember Moon. We get a really cool, like, variation of the Tower of Doom spot, where it's, like, usually, um, it's usually, like, powerbomb superplex. They do... German suplex, superplex. So Peyton is at the bottom. She hits a German suplex on Ember, who superplexes Kyrie. That was a really neat variation of the uh, Tower of Doom spot that I really liked. Um, right as I started to notice, hey, Nikki Cross has been out of this match for fucking ever. She gets back in. She hits a big diving cross body onto all three women. We can't hang out too much because I have the same exact notes the same exact way. Yeah. Nikki hits a really fucking sweet, like, swinging fisherman neckbreaker on Kyrie that looks awesome. Uh, Ember breaks up the pin. Um, Nikki then hits a really nice rope-hung neckbreaker on em- uh, Ember. Peyton hits Nikki with a gorgeous bridging fisherman suplex. Kyrie breaks that up. Kyrie, Alabama slams Peyton onto Nikki. She goes up and hits the single great. I mean, there is no one in the history of wrestling that is, I'm going to say it, Best diving elbow in wrestling history belongs to Kyrie Sane. She hits it onto both Peyton and Nikki. She goes for the pin on Nikki. Ember breaks it up. And then Ember goes up and hits her, her own really sick finishing move. The Eclipse, that flipping stunner off the top rope. Looks like she hits it on both Peyton and Nikki, who are both kind of, you know, tied up together in the middle of the ring. And she pins Nikki and... Ember Moon gets the pin, wins the match. After coming up short twice, she was like Asuka's last feud as NXT Women's Champion. After she came up short twice in title matches against Asuka, Ember Moon wins the title. Nine minutes and 51 seconds. Again, just a complete sprint spot fest from start to finish. Very, very fun. A lot of cool stuff in this match. This match just made me remember like how spoiled WWE is when it comes to having women wrestling talent. Like... 75% of the women in this match are no longer with the company and they still have more talent than God. They like the amount of women's talent they have right now is just insane. But like Amber Moon is our ROH women's champion. Uh, Kyrie was the first new Japan women's champion. Uh, Peyton Royce just had a kid. Uh, and then Nikki Cross is currently with, with uh, the raw with Sean, Sean Spears. Spears if I remember correctly. Yes. Which, yeah. 
good good for good for both of them to be honest with you. Exactly. So like it's just wild because like all four of these women were eventually called up and like three of them, you know, I think Ember was likely or Paige Royce is probably the most successful with the tag champs, but like hey, I don't know. It's I tough. Know, like all all four of them like especially they, Kyrie and Ember really felt like they had like top bitch, you know, potential. And Ember especially, I have no like, idea how you fucked that up. It's tough because like when you have the four horsewomen and you have Asuka, it's like they are like so dominant. Like, I mean, that's like the fucking greatest class of women's wrestlers to like come through anywhere at any time ever, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's tough for like any of these women who are all great in their own, like all great in their own individual ways to like shine at that level. I mean, because, I'm a complete like, ember mark because they're already there and they're already established. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like but, Ember for me, like I always thought she could have like, it's not one-to-one comparison, but like her nickname was the Sheenom. She could have kind of like occupied the kind of creepy final boss undertaker role. I thought yeah, I, I, I don't she, that. Like, it's, it's just because they're the, making a pun. You're like, oh, no, it's just like because her entrance too. her entrance to her. Entrance, she Because like she kind of has like the creepy moon at night entrance. The issue is like the finisher doesn't kind of play itself into that because she's like a very much a high flyer, high energy person. Um, but the eclipse is just like one of my favorite finishers of, like out there. It's such a cool looking finisher. So cool. I remember the first time I saw her do that, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Like it, it fucking exploded my brain. It was so fucking sick. And, and like, Payne and Nikki sold the hell of it on the double on the double eclipse because it yeah. wasn't like it wasn't the cleanest ever, but like in real time, it looks picture perfect. Yeah, uh, it, it looked. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's like you have two of my favorite finishers like in the same match, where you have that and you have the Kyrie say diving elbow. Yeah, Kyrie's elbow just uh, picture perfect every no, time. No one's doing it like her. It's perfect. She also has a really good spear for a smaller wrestler. Like she's like she's very got, small, great spear. She's got a really good everything, dude. She's <laughs> she's fucking great. I mean, like, what the fuck, man? Like, uh, she is the real fucking deal, man. I, I mean, she is as good of a wrestler as there is male or female mm-hmm. in the world. Like, I don't know. I don't know how many people I'm taking over her. You know. Um, her match with fucking uh, Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet. And I don't know if you got to see that one, uh, New Japan. Haven't seen it yet. It was great. Shocker. As you, ex- as, as you would expect, it was a fucking banger. Uh, but yeah, um, ton of talent in this match. And again, they really understand the assignment here. You only got 10 minutes and it's a four way. It's tough to tell. Like when you have that many people in the match, all of whom, you know, need to get their shit in in some way because you want everybody to get their shit in right when you have that many people need to get their shit in and that little time it's 10 minutes like for four people to really tell like a i feel like a, a a real good story as such you need more time than 10 minutes for four people so it's like okay here's what we'll do we'll fucking do a spot fest ass match here and you know, like these all all four of these women have the right fucking idea and they nail it. I, it's a really, really entertaining match all the way through. Everything they all do looks great. Um, I just, you know, I, I 
remember, like, I, I love Ember. I'm a big fan of Ember. I've loved her work. Uh, I loved Athena. I've loved Athena's work in Ring of Honor, especially like, like being the person of the forefront of like, yeah, like it's okay for women to hit each other hard. Also, you know what I mean? It's like, she's like <laughs> that was the dumbest like the thing ever. Like, like saying like, like making like being the person on the forefront of making the point of like. Yeah, like, people think it's great when, like, men beat the shit out of each other, but, like, when women do it, like, people freak out, like, women should be able to beat the shit out of each other, too, like, which is true, <laughs> but, like, I, I've appreciated her being the one to do that, um, and I, I'm a big fan of hers, I've always thought she's really cool, but I, I never, I, I, I remember, like, really wanting Kyrie to go over, mm-hmm. because, like, I don't know, I thought it, like, May, like, it, like it didn't look as great because it was like she was the one who had lost to Asuka over and over mm-hmm. again, and now she only wins because Asuka's gone. Yeah, like I thought it made her not like it. It's like, like it's like yeah, she's great because she she won, but it's like it's like yeah, you won, you're the champion, but it's like you still are, you know, you still got owned by Asuka. You know what I mean? So like, are you really like a real champion in that sense? There's like a ceiling remember, on I, it. I just remember having that feeling, you know. Like I'm glad she won because she's great, but I would have, I, I probably, if I were booking, I probably would have put Kyrie over. I kind of agree too, and Kyrie was more pure white meat babyface too. I think just like she's, it, uh, I don't know. I feel like just her move pool just lends itself to a babyface and like the pyre princess gimmick versus. Yeah. Like one of the purest, like impossible to dislike babyfaces in the world. Exactly. Um, whereas like, you know, Amber was start, uh, Athena was getting some booze in the Mercedes Martinez matches has kind of since leaned into that and turned fully heel, but yeah. uh, it's just, I don't know. It does kind of paint a picture of like, oh, you couldn't beat the best NXT had to offer. So it's clear that like anyone else who beats you is likely not as good as Asuka. So you kind of, you do take that like step down a little bit, but I don't know. I kind of think that if, if the only person you're losing to is Asuka, you're still probably really good. That's true. I mean that that is definitely true. But yeah, you know, I, I, again, I, I just you know, it's you can argue back and forth here. I you know, and I, I'm never going to argue with somebody like Athena, you know, winning anything because she's a great pro wrestler. But you know, I, I just they kind of I booked it into a corner a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, oh yeah, very fun match. Very fun match. So next up, uh, we have got uh, Kevin Owens is here. You know, the, the fucking all the stars are out, ladies and gentlemen. Kevin Owens is here. Samoa Joe is in the building. Over as hell. Over as hell. You know, Samoa Joe always is and always will be. Um, for the NXT championship, you know, as always, I'm someone I've said many times. I always feel like the world title should main event, unless the main event is something special, like the return of War Games. Yeah, that's fine. I I, I get why uh, the the world title is going on second to last. Got a really, really good matchup here. Uh, It is Drew McIntyre defending the title against Andrade Cien Almas. Uh, Andrade, like... Putting Andrade with Zelina Vega completely rescued his fucking career is, like, one of the greatest, like, 
single booking decisions that I can remember in, in like the last like several years. And guess what? He hasn't because, been right since. You know, he was somebody that, you know, he was pretty well known to hardcore fans as a luchador, as La Sombra, right? He was a pretty big star in Mexico. He worked in New Japan. If you were a hardcore fan, you probably knew who La Sombra was, right? But he had never worked unmasked before, right? This He was a completely new character. And, like, he wasn't such a big, like, star, like, a, like outside of WWE that, like, he's going to be, like, instantly over with the, you know, the NXT fans, right? Somebody like Adam Cole or Kevin Owens or somebody like that, they, or Samoa Joe, they come in and the hardcore fans are, they're, they're so over with them that they're going to be instantly over in NXT. But Sombra was not really quite on that level. And he comes in as a baby face and it just kind of didn't really work, right? And turning him heel, putting him with Zelina gave him that fucking, like, extra edge. And then they actually turned the fact that, like, he got in and was kind of disappointing and, like, didn't really get over, like, turned that into part of the story and had Zelina be the one to kind of put him back on track as a heel and help him win matches. And it just fucking worked. It was fucking genius. And, I mean, I, I, I really believe that, like, Andrade is where he is now as, like, a much, much bigger star like around the world in AEW in Mexico everywhere else because they made that specific decision to put him with Zelina when they did genius fucking move by I, I'm assuming Triple H to do that but you know and this is a very pro Zelina po podcast she is a tremendous fucking manager really good at what she does um and yeah and so it's Andrade challenging for the NXT title against. Drew McIntyre, Drew comes out, of course. You remember you remember that time that Drew McIntyre wasn't fucking cool as fuck? Um, vaguely. And that was when he was pouring dog food on uh Roman Reigns with Baron yeah. Corbin. Even so, he was still cool sometimes. I mean, the man has been just just goaded as fuck for the last like six, seven years. We're getting him versus Gunther at Mania too. Oh. Boy, oh fucking boy. That's gonna rule. Um, yeah. But Here's a, here's a question that I have, Angelo, for you before we even go into this. Which version of the Drew theme do you like better? Oh, man. So if we're going with his second return to WWE only. His not, yeah, not, not the broken dream. Like whatever. What, where the fuck it was? Uh, you know, his, broken his, dreams. Broken dreams. Yeah. His yeah. like OG, like chosen one, Drew McIntyre. I, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. You know, the second. The sec he, he had this version of like the bagpipe theme. In NXT, and then they kind of changed it when he got up to the main roster. Which one do you like better? I think the second one's better. The first, like, I, well, I enjoy the feature of the bagpipes in, like, the initial one. There's something about the theme that just doesn't flow or hit the right notes because it's kind of grating on the ears. I think the way they have it now is, like, the right balance to make it sound both intimidating and iconic, for, like, with the bagpipes. I completely agree with you. That's my exact take. I like the first one for like, because I like the longer intro. Yes. You know, but I think the main roster one is better overall because it sticks more to the bagpipes. It doesn't, it never needed the fucking like hard rock guitar. Yeah. Shit. You know what I mean? It doesn't need it. Doesn't need it. 
the the first one I think would be better for heel heel McIntyre because you have the longer buildup. Whereas his current babyface Drew McIntyre, he's out there kicking ass immediately. You don't want him to be like you. You don't want that time to build up. You want him to just go out there, walk down the ring, shove the sword into the ground, and then kick some ass. Yeah, love it though. It's, it's still a great theme. I remember when he like redebuted with this theme in NXT because you know he you know he had gone away, gone back to the UK like gotten fucking jacked as shit you know you know uh you know fucking got like got cool as fuck and like came back with like the scottish warrior kind of gimmick and then like redebut with this theme and i was like holy fuck this guy looks like mo- looks like money smells like money baby because it's like th- that theme with the, bag- with the bagpipe shit it's like you really feel like like this is something that like William Wallace fucking listened to when he was walk walking to battle at fucking Sterling Bridge, you know? It's fucking rules. And you see him with the title too, and he's just like, Yep, that's a face of a company. Looks like money, smells like money, baby. Uh Drew rules. But yeah, so really, really good title match here. Um we get uh some some you know fuckery early on with or some attempted fuckery early on with Zelina. So Drew tries to throw Andrade out. Andrade hangs in the ropes, does his little Los Ingobernables taunt. Of course, Andrade, one of the founders of the original Los Ingobernables in Mexico. Uh, Drew then boots him out of the ring. Uh, while Drew's on the floor, referee isn't looking. Uh, Zelina tries to do her, like, to Harris off of the apron. Drew just catches her and swings around and just places her back on the apron, which I thought was really funny. Um, and then Andrade goes for a dive. Drew catches him with a kick, beats him up for a little bit. Um, but then Drew uh, gets posted, um, you know, shoulder to the post. Andrade works the arm for a bit, does a triangle arm bar over the ropes. Drew gets his comeback. He hits a, you know, like release, uh, vertical suplex, bump and feeds him around a little bit. Hits two overhead belly to bellies. He comes off the top with like a jumping elbow he hits a neat pop-up air raid crash into a near fall. Uh, Notice that uh, Mauro called the air raid crash the Celtic Cross, perhaps uh, previewing five years later Drew's team with Sheamus, perhaps, <laughs> a little bit. Maybe Mauro was seeing into the future a little bit. It's a, little, like, little, a little Bang Bros action. It's Banger almost Bros. like Sheamus and Drew trained together back way back in the day. That's weird. Yeah. It's almost like they're both fucking sick as hell. Um... <laughs> We get we get to this point like Drew's looking awesome. He's fucking doing his he's got he's got his great comeback. He's tossing Andrade all over the ring. There's like seven idiots in the crowd who try to start a three MB chant. <laughs> and they get they get just uh, you know like thankfully shut the fuck down by the rest of the crowd. Um, Andrade comes back. He hits a uh, you know spinning back elbow in the corner. Hits a tornado inverted DDT for a near fall. He goes for his finisher, which was at the time the you know, the hammerlock DDT. Uh, but Drew powers out. Uh, he goes for a poison Rana, but Drew catches him, hits the inverted Alabama slam. Uh, this was this was cool. Andrade really starts to get the crowd going here. Uh, so Andrade like head scissors him into the post on the floor um, as he after he like tries to hit a Rana. Um, then Andrade comes off, hits a huge moonsault off of the top to the floor. Crowd really ignites for him. Um, crowd is very noticeably 
cheering the heel Andrade majorly over the babyface champion Drew McIntyre. Um, Andrade hits the Alberto Del Rio double stomp, uh, like like hanging out of the tree of woe in the corner. Um, hits the uh, running double knees from his uh, brother Roosh that, that Roosh does, the, the bull's horns, I think he calls it, mm-hmm. uh, corner. Um, Drew kicks out of that. Drew comes back with a sit-out powerbomb, hits his future shot DDT, just a bunch of great back-and-forths here. Um, he goes for the air raid crash off the top rope, but Andrade slips out. Andrade hits the running double knees to the back of the head in the corner, kicks out again. Andrade goes out. He grabs the belt from ringside. As the referee is, like, you know, telling him, hey, put that fucking belt away, Zelina runs in, hits a basement spike Rana on Drew, and then Andrade gets in, hits the hammerlock DDT, but Drew kicks out of Andrade's finisher. Big reaction to this uh, this near fall here. Andrade goes for the double knees again in the corner, but as he's running in, Drew comes out of nowhere with a huge claymore. Looks like he has him pinned, but Zelina puts Andrade's foot on the ropes. Crowd going majorly fucking crazy here for, again, the heel who's getting the the manager to fucking cheat for him. They're still going crazy for Andrade. He goes for another claymore. Andrade ducks. He sort of flies over the top rope and crotches himself. And then Andrade hits a, like, really high-angle draping DDT off of the top rope for the pin, wins the match to a big pop, Andrade is the new champion, 14 minutes, 53 seconds, very notably. Drew McIntyre tore his bicep on literally the last move of the match. I think it was that uh, DDT spot. If you look at it, he holds on to the rope way too fucking long as he's going down. He's like holding on to the rope with his left arm to steady himself as they're setting up. And then as they go down, he holds on to it way too fucking long. Tears his bicep and would return six months later on the main roster uh, as, if I remember correctly, was he Dolph Ziggler's, like, uh, like yes. at first? Shit, what was their stupid name? War Dogs? So, yeah, wasn't that it? Was it the it, War it was like, it was him, Dolph, and Braun Strowman? Was that the faction? Was that? I don't remember. It was something War dumb. Dogs, uh, War Dogs, Miles Teller, uh, Jonah Hill, good movie. <laughs> um that said, I, I assume if you to- ask Drew, hey, would you rather tear your bicep or break your neck? I think he'll take the bicep 10 times out of 10. Well, I mean, yeah. Because sure. that, that was a scary looking spot. Not, not that it wasn't done safely, but it was scary looking. I mean, he, it was a very high angle one. It looked like he was coming straight down on his head. I'm sure it was, you know, but like, you know, uh, didn't hurt his yeah. Didn't hurt his head. Didn't hurt his neck. Tore his bicep. Yeah, which, I I remember when it happened. I remember hearing like, hey, he tore his bicep on the DDT. And I remember see, like hearing that, and I was like, huh? How do you tear your bicep taking a DDT? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you do that. And then when you really watch it, you can see like, okay, like that's sort of how it happened. You know, he just like, you know, because his arm like really kind of overextends as he's coming down at like a weird angle. Uh, so you can see how it happened. But I just remember thinking like, wait. Like, I remember, like, reading that. I was like, wait, how the fuck do you do that? How is that even possible? Um, I, I agree with you. It is always tough to do your world championship match that not in the main event spot. Um, obviously, with the War Games match, it's really tough. I think you can kind of get away. If, if it's ever justified, it's justified here. 
I do. I agree. But I do also think, like, you should maybe make it, like... I don't think it should have been this type of championship match. Like, it shouldn't be... Especially if you're doing a title change. I feel like that's, like, Andrade gets shortchanged by, like, having his moment not be the main event as top guy. I think, like, if you're getting... You know, I don't think it can really be helped. You know, at this point, you're only doing four takeovers a year, maybe? Four Mm -hmm. to five? And, like, one of them's, like, so, like, what what are you going to wait? What? Six six weeks. Two more months to the Royal Rumble, because they would have another one after the Royal, or before the Royal Rumble. So two more months. It's not that long. We also don't want to wait too long. On Friday was really over now. Yeah, he had a great story. It was over then. Again, as the heel with a man with a heel manager cheating for him constantly throughout this match, he's still getting huge cheers from the crowd. Like they wanted him then. So like it, it felt like and especially, you know, the plan was that Drew was going up, you know, like he was always going up to the main roster, like after this. Like this was the time to do it. I mean, it it it, it is you know. Hey, like maybe it would have been nice to have it in the main event, but the fa- the fans still loved it. It's yeah. still cool, you know. They they still got a great reaction for everything, and he was really over. So like that's one of those things that you know you just shrug your shoulders and say, yeah. I mean, it, it would have been a little nicer if it was in the main event, but like it was still pretty damn good as it was. I, I, I completely agree. It's just like you're, it's a logistical issue of like the whole thing of running just like a few pay-per-views a year. It's just like something that you're going to run into, especially if you're going to have this great big uh, event that's around a gimmick match that you have to put in the main event. It's just one of those things that you're going to run into. Um, you, named, I, not, you named the goddamn pay-per-view of War Games. Exactly. <laughs> you're putting War Games on last, baby. Uh, you mentioned Drew looks like money. All three people involved look like money. Andrade, Zelina, Drew, all of them just look fantastic. Looking like money, smelling like money, baby. I, I always try and get into Zelina as a wrestler. I just, I've never seen a Zelina match I've really liked. But whenever she's in a manager, like, I love the fact that they've paired her up with Legato Del Fantasma. I love LG, uh, LD, uh, LDF so much. They're a great yeah, faction. Fun. Very fun fact. I want them to be on TV more. They're just Joaquin, Joaquin Wild, probably the best pro wrestler to come out of West Virginia University. I'd agree. Maybe maybe that changes in a few years, but definitely at the current moment in time, twenty twenty three. I'm at, I'm at, I don't know how many there are. I'm definitely at least at least in third place behind him and Pat McAfee. Exactly. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. I don't and I don't know how many others there are to be honest, but. We'll see. But I, I love that faction. And Zelina as a manager, just she's such a great mouthpiece. She knows like her promo work is Paul Heyman levels of good. Like she's great. up there. It's great. I want to see her and Paul Heyman actually go like spar on the mic. I think that's just printing money at that point. But the match itself. Yeah, it's so it's it's very well booked. It tells a great story. Andrade. The, the come up for Andrade, like debuting as a babyface, not really getting over, going on a losing streak as a party guy. Zelina getting him focused and bringing him back to the main event. Like he's a heel, but man, is that not a babyface story that they told? Yeah. Uh, so good. Uh, Andrade, I was really excited when he debuted in AEW. I'm upset it hasn't really turned into anything because he's a guy who just like you see him come out. He's like, man, it's a main event. That's a main event guy right there. Yeah, I know. It just, for whatever reason, has never, like, you know, he, he hasn't, like, been there. 
as often. And then like, you know, uh, all the shit with Sammy Guevara and everything, it's been, it's been a very weird run. Like he's been really cool as shit when he, whenever he's been there, you know, and he can work his ass off. He's, you know, cool. He's got this great presence. He's got a great look, great gimmick, all that shit. Well, they've yeah. kind of given his spot to Roosh. Like, Roosh yeah. is kind of functioning as Andrade, which I love Roosh. Roosh is great. I love having Roosh on my TV. I, I, I want more Roosh on my TV. That match with Danielson, man. The match you know, with Danielson. That match with Danielson was so fucking good, I was losing my mind. I, I was it, absolutely shitting my fucking pants watching that match. I love it so much. That was a pay-per-view match they literally gave us for free. I can't believe it. So, um there was a moment here with Drew because like this is the kind of problem Drew runs into is like he is very white meat baby face, but he also suffers from like the same like fallbacks of a lot of baby faces where he's almost he's like too of a too much of a goody two shoes and has those Cena moments like he kicked out of the hammerlock DDT. And I was like, that's kind of a semi Cena moment. I gave it two point seven five ah, Cena's. Yeah. And, like, Drew does have those moments of, like... Title match. You know, people kick out of finish. I, I, I know. It's just... I thought it was a great... I thought it was a great false. It was... I, I, I Look, man, just because I say it doesn't mean I think it's bad. It's just... It's something that we run into with Drew where it's it's easy, also, for, it's easy for him to fall into, like, a boring habit. It's also not a problem if he's also actually going to lose the match. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like... He kicks out if he kicks out of Andrade's finisher and then wins. That's one thing. But he kicks out of Andrade's finisher and then loses anyway. Yeah, that's not as big of a problem. For me. I, I just thought it was a great falsy, man, because they really fucking get you. It's like, do. oh, fucking hit his fit. You know, Zelina did the thing and then he did the fucking thing, and I thought it was great. Like, you you fucking bite on it. You know what I mean? And the claymore that he hits, dude. Oh my god, he turns him inside out. Yeah, turns him inside fucking out. One of my favorite finishers in wrestling, the Claymore, because he just, you know, he gets all of it every fucking time. And when you get somebody who can really sell it great, like do like the fucking like backflip fucking face bump off of it, like the turn inside out fucking sell, then it's like, you know, you really have a fucking stew going. You know what I mean? Really awesome. Yeah. Um, again, Andrade was so fucking cool here. Um, and again, it, like I... I I already did my spiel maybe too early about, you know, putting him with Zelina. Such a great fucking pairing. I wonder what your two marks is going to be. Such a great fucking pairing with Zelina. Um, again, like I said, completely fucking salvaged his career uh, in, in NXT entirely. Um, really salvaged his, like I said, I think salvaged his entire, like, like American run. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zelina was just so good, so good. I mean, like as you said, great fucking uh, promo. Like, kind of added this like edge to him that wasn't there before. Um, can do like she can do all the interference spots, but like she can do them in a much cooler way because she's she's like a, a legit wrestler and like can do all like these cool lucha things. You know, like it does like does her own spin on the kind of traditional like heel like manager like especially female manager interference spots because she can she does like the fucking running to harris and all that shit you know she doesn't chicken shit either like she is four foot eight and she stares down everyone without fear she fucking rules um and you know obviously great looking woman who you know her and her and uh alistair black fantastic couple very very wholesome couple um but like I think I've talked about this before. If we've had Andrade on here before, 
always really appreciated the fact where it was like business. Yeah, it was completely a business relationship. They they did not like it's like yes, you have this like very very attractive woman as this very attractive man. It has to be said, Andrade. Why the fuck was that guy wearing a mask? Extremely <laughs> handsome. Guy. Uh, why the fuck would you spend like, fifteen years wearing a mask when you look like that? But like you have this very very attractive woman managing this very attractive man and zero fucking sexual tension at all between them. It is like. This is my manager. We have a business relationship, and she is helping me win matches. This is what it's for, you know. I always it was really great that because it's not normally what you would expect from WWE. Uh, but very, very good shit. Very, very good shit. At, like, one of my favorite like manager wrestler pairings of all time. Up, it's very up there. So next up, it's the reason for the fucking season, baby. And I really appreciate it as we go into war games. We have two of the. War Games OGs at ringside to see the revival of the match that they helped make famous. Arn Anderson and Dustin Rhodes, two fucking first ballot Hall of Famers uh, sitting at ringside for this one. I really liked that touch going in. Made me, made me feel a little warm and fuzzy seeing those two guys sitting next to each other. It is, as we said, the uh, three top groups in NXT at the time. It is. A three-way trios war games. Uh, it is the team of Sanity, Eric Young, Alexander Wolf, and big old hairy Irish boy Killian Dane. Got my Eric Young t-shirt on, baby. Are you? Is that? Is that? Oh yeah, you you, you do own an Eric Young t-shirt. That's really <laughs> weird. That. Um, Eric Young, Alexander Wolf, Killian Dane. Uh, Killian Dane looks awesome in this fucking match. By the way, this is like a Killian Dane showcase. Oh, it's so good. They are taking on the Undisputed Era, still a three-piece at this point. Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, and the team of the Authors of Pain and Roderick Strong. Big shout-out to, talk about great managers, Paul fucking Ellering, baby. Classic, classic man. Really missed him with, really missed him with AOP. Really miss having Paul Ellering on my fucking TV screen. It was like such a treat. When they brought him back after, like, what, like, what was the last time Paul Ellering had been on fucking TV? Like, 20 fucking years, maybe more, 25 years since, like, Paul Ellering had been on, like, TV regularly in the U.S. And they brought him back to be with AOP in when they were in NXT. Such a, like, out-of-the-box fucking idea. And it worked so fucking well. It was so perfect. He still signed like, with WWE, too. Like, yeah. put, put him with a monster tag team, please. The guy's well, just, it, it's the credibility. It's the credibility. Fingers crossed. There have been rumors that uh, WWE may bring AOP back and that they would put him back with Paul Ellering. I big fingers crossed on that one because I, I want Paul Ellering on my fucking screen. Because he came back and it was like, oh shit, that's Paul Ellering? What the fuck? I haven't seen him since 1987. And it's like, he still fucking looks cool and is still an amazing fucking promo. He did the Iditarod. Uh, Adi yeah, in 2000. Uh, <laughs> I also think the AOP rumors are just because they need money to pay people from their failed uh, wrestling yes. venture. That was insane. I mean, <laughs> like, that whole thing was like an NFT scale. It was. <laughs> Those guys are really fucking unhinged. But they were a really cool, like, monster tag team. Um, so, yeah, it is Sanity Undisputed Era and the AOP and Roddy Strong. So... This is the revival of the War Games match. It is the first, like, 
war games match on a big scale in many, many years. Um, first one in like WWE, really. Um, and Triple H in reviving this match made a couple of key changes to the war games format. First of all, in the WCW, the NWA WCW war games matches, you could only win by quote unquote submit or surrender. There were no pinfalls. They, they get rid of that. You can now win by pinfall or submission. And they also take away the roof that was always like way too low in the old WCW ones. Uh, no roof on the cage, which of course people are doing dives off the cage all the time now when, whenever you're doing cage shit. So that's a kind of modern update. You got to let people dive off the cage. Uh, you get Ricochet in there, you got to let him do a double moonsault off the cage, right? Um, and he also sped up a little bit the, uh, the intervals for the entrances as well. Um, honestly, uh, some changes and some updates that I think take a classic match and make it a little better. Um, so how the like delayed entrances are working here in a trios war games that has three teams... We're starting with one member of all three teams in the ring. And then once the, the time goes up, uh, one team gets the other two guys in. Um, so it's like one team, one team, and one team. And then once all three teams get in, like fully, then the match starts, right? Then the match beyond begins, as Dusty Rhodes would put it. Um, so we start off with, Eric Young for Sanity. We have Adam Cole for the Undisputed Era. And we have Roddy Strong for the AOP team. And, you know, uh, we get, Adam Cole is in control for a lot of this first part. He uh, crotches uh, Roddy and EY on the top rope. Uh, hits some stuff. Hits some, hits an Ushigoroshi. Hands out a few neckbreakers. Roddy gets his big fiery comeback right as the clock counts down. Who's coming in? Undisputed Era is coming in. So we get Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly in. They beat everybody up. Um, you know, kind of goes on, you know, they, they just, they just get heat for about three minutes. Um, uh, Bobby Fish hit a nice looking wheelbarrow suplex on Roddy into the, uh, into the cage. So that looked neat. Um, AOP is in next. There's a fun spot where like, they, they, they're like walk in like Bobby Fish, like tries to close the doors, like desperately trying to close, he hold the door closed to keep the AOP <laughs> out of the, uh, the ring. And they just overpower him and like throw him in. And, you know, they beat the shit out of everybody, right? They, they're they tossing these little undisputed air boys around like like nothing. Um, they, uh, or th they, they do a couple spots where they, like, take one guy in one ring and throw him into the other ring. And then eventually they um, grab Roddy and do a big Beal toss from one ring into the other ring onto everybody else. And then they do a cool spot where they, like, hang two guys in the corner and then take the other two guys and hit, like, double Death Valley drivers into the other guys. Really cool stuff. You know, AOP, really just a fun team to watch work. AOP stands for Big Beefy Boys. Yes, they do. Um, then Sanity comes in. Alexander Wolf gets in there. Doesn't even stop to take off his cool jacket. He produces a fucking nightstick, and he hands out some good old-fashioned Cobb County justice with that baton. Um, you know, it just beats the shit out of everybody. Killian Dane introduces a bunch of chairs, a couple trash cans, gets a chain. Uh, we get We Want Tables chance. Killian Dane, to the rapturous applause of the crowd, brings out a couple tables, tosses them in the ring. 
And uh, we get into the ring, and the match officially begins. Um, Dane swallows the key to the cage. Was that kayfabe or not? I don't know. <laughs> I, I popped for it, though. Um, very early, like, so, like, the match begins. It becomes a proper fucking car crash. Um, too many cool spots to mention, so here are some of the ones that I liked. Um, when I think of this match, I think of this spot specifically, one of my favorite spots. Um, Kyle O'Reilly gets the chair, tries to swing it at Alexander Wolf. Alexander Wolf gets out of the way. O'Reilly hits the top rope with the chair and it bounces back and he hits himself in the head with it and then like stumbles back into Alexander Wolf and hits him with a release German suplex. Just a great spot. Like Kyle O'Reilly's done that spot before. I saw him do that spot in PWG too. Always fucking pop for it. He's accidentally hitting the chair off his own head. Such a funny fucking spot. Get well soon, Kyle O'Reilly. I miss I you miss so much. So much. I miss him so much. He's such a good wrestler. He's man. so like he. He's got every, other than like size. He's got everything in the ring. Like he's just on it. He's like he can be very serious. He can be very funny. He's the easily the be- best henchman since like Scott Hall was in the NWO. Unbelievable henchman. Unbe- like from like. In Undisputed Era, what like that whole run on Undisputed Era, he was the guy that you could just like you I always wanted to watch. You know what I mean? It's a shame like, main event Kyle never worked out, but like the guy is just so incredible. He's so fucking good. Uh, yeah, get well soon to Kyle. It's been it's been like nine, ten months since we've seen him in the ring. Was, since that like amazing match that he had with Mox on Dynamite in like June or whatever. It's the last time he wrestled. I think it's been sp- a combination of spine issues and diabetic issues. I think that's what the Instagram post said. Uh, and it complications with like all the health. So, you know, it, it's scary stuff. Yes, we, Mo, we know. We want we want Kyle O'Reilly to get better soon. Mo, Mrs. Kyle O'Reilly as well. Uh, but, yes, great. Uh, yeah, Kyle's great. Miss him a lot. Um, like I said, turns into a real car crash, but a bunch of cool spots. We got here. Here's a bunch of stuff. We got some cool big boy uh, showdowns between Killian Dane and the AOP guys. Um, Undisputed Air, there's a spot where uh, Kyle O'Reilly gets Killian Dane in an arm bar with the chain, uh, but then Roddy breaks it up with a diving elbow off the top rope. Uh, Eric Young goes for the pin, and then Bobby Fish breaks it up by hitting a moonsault onto everybody. Uh, we get AOP. Hits the like their, their super collider like double power bomb thing with Killian Day and they squash him in the middle before they hit the uh, power bomb. Great visual spot. I love yeah. that. Um, Eric Young breaks up the pin and then even the much smaller guy they able to power up one of the AOP guys. Both of them were huge and he hits a Death Valley driver onto the other one for a big near fall. Roddy comes in, gets a great fucking. Uh, you know, come back where he hits 700 backbreakers in a row, hits Dane with a huge Olympic slam, goes for the pin. Adam Cole breaks it up with a super kick. We get two enormous Tower of Doom spots at the same time that take everybody out except for Adam Cole, who's like sitting in between the two Power of Dooms, like in between the two rings. Um, AOP, they set up a couple of tables uh, and they go after Adam Cole. But Alexander Wolf gets in. He catches one of the AOP from behind as they're going after Adam Cole. Wolf hits uh, whichever one of the AOP guys always got them confused. You know, never going to apologize for it. Don't know which one's Akam. Don't know which one Rezar is. Doesn't really matter. 
Um, he hits one of the AOP guys with a German suplex off the top rope through both of the tables. And the table shattering uh, cuts Wolf open. He is bleeding everywhere for the rest of this match. Um, and then EY catches the other AOP guy and hits him with a neck breaker off the top rope. Um, uh, Kyle, uh, Adam Cole ends up on top of the cage and he's just chilling there for like a lot of this match. He's just hanging out on the top of the, on the top of the cage. Um, Killian Dane, who is a massive motherfucker, at least 300 pounds, hits a huge coast to coast drops kick into, uh, on Kyle O'Reilly into the, uh, the, uh, the, the trash can awesome visual of Killian Dane guy his size doing that move um roddy then follows cole up to the top please don't die chance from the crowd and roddy superplexes adam cole off of the cage onto everybody into the ring uh coming towards the end of this match aop it's their finisher the last chapter on to killian dane on the steel divider in between the two rings uh and then finish of the match uh, EY hits Roddy if a wheelbarrow suplex into the cage, take him out. But then Cole gets in. He hits Eric Young with the kendo stick. Eric Young is like in a kind of dazed while he's, he's sort of he's selling like he's out of it. He grabs onto a chair, and then as Adam Cole sees EY pick up the chair, he runs in, hits a shining wizard into the chair, into Eric Young's head, and he gets the pin. And the Undisputed Era wins War Games. 36 minutes and 50 seconds of chaos. Fuck it. Again, I said it so many times on this show. Like, this match is exactly what it needed to be. It was exactly what it needed to be. Very good. Just a lot of storylines culminating here. Um, interesting to see the tag champs take the L, but obviously, you know, Undisputed Era is coming in and they're going to be the next big boy faction. Um, that theme that UE has is just. Oh my such god! A, such a shameless ripoff of the NWO. Very theme. much so. I love it. It's <laughs> it's such an iconic theme song to me. I miss Sanity. Uh, I, I'm a huge Eric Young mark. If if it's not already obvious, I enjoyed Violet by Design and Impact. It was just a nice little callback to that. I'm not sure what he's doing right now, but Eric Young, just a guy who has never failed to entertain me when he's been on TV. Um, I again and all of Sandy too. Killian Dane's another guy I always loved watching him in WWE. Just another big guy who moved super well. I loved his dropkick senton combo. Uh, Love that. That was great. He gets a lot of he's a lot of that like that early part of the match, like after like it officially starts. Right, I kind of skipped over it a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's like a Killian Dane showcase. Like he just hosses the fuck out on everybody. Mm-hmm. He hits that hits that cool dropkick senton combo. He does like a like a Michinoku driver on the like, wishes him like like it was like a Michinoku driver on like fish and, fish fish and coal and then lands on Bobby Fish and squashes him and then he does like the cool like Samoan drop follow a slam combo on the two guys at the same time like at the same time as one of the AOP guys does it like just a lot of real nice big boy shit from him and then he does the fucking coast to coast drop kick which looks oh amazing. my god absolute yeah. freak. This match was a great fucking showcase for Killian Dane. Also, also, deceptive entering charisma guy, Alexander Wolf. Like, the guy... He's good. I forget him a lot. And, like, every time I see him on my TV screen, I'm like, this guy goes. He's just, like, everywhere. He's got a great swagger to him. Um, you know, he was great in Sandy. He was even great in Imperium. I think the guy has range. He's just yeah. such... He's got, he's got great size, great entering charisma... 
I don't know what he's doing right now, but man, that was a guy who he's, never failed to entertain as well on my screen. He's on the um, he's like back on the German Indies. Okay, okay. I, I, I give it, get him back in WWE. You could do so much with him. Um, Undisputed Era, not much needs to be said. Authors of Pain, you know, not. It was always cool with Roderick Strong because Roderick Strong's gimmick was like he could blend in with anyone. Uh, kind of a bridesmaid, never the bride. Like he's super talented, a super talented guy. But he always felt like the other guy in every faction he was in until Undisputed Era really kind of came to fruition. And even though he was the fourth ad, he felt so natural with the other three. Like yeah. if you think about like with the Authors of Pain, obviously he's the guy that uh, sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, go back to you know uh, Diamond Mine with the Creed Brothers. You're the odd man out. It's just Roddy's such a good worker. He's such a good hand. Promo's never been great, but like the guy, you can—he's easy to root for, and you just watch yeah. him in the ring. He's just—he just goes. He's—he's he's, to me one of the best pure in-ring workers of the last twenty years. I mean, in the ring, just pure in like in-ring work. He is so fucking good. I mean, he is so good all the way around. And yeah, like that's the one thing that's held him back. I mean, he's. He, it's, and it's always been true his whole career. He's never been a good promo guy. For whatever reason, like the the out out of the ring character work has never been his strong suit. He's always kind of just been a guy who wrestles really well. But he does wrestle extremely fucking well. In like you get him from bell to bell, he is as good as it gets as a pro wrestler. Um, and it's a shame. It's like he's still under contract with WWE, and he's just not getting booked. Like they're not doing shit with him. And I think he he's, he, is he training? Is he like one of their trainers now? I don't think so. I don't think he's doing anything. Like I think he's like he's like requested his release, and they just won't let him go. Like he's just not doing anything. Probably because they don't want him to go back to AEW and just have that fat like be able to really do the undisputed era hits uh, over yeah. at AEW. Undisputed elite. I I just I miss watching Roddy. I I again you know he's he's a guy that. Is never going to be like, has never been able to be a, a real main eventer on a high level because he's really not a good promo and doesn't have that sort of like that type, that type of like, you don't have to be a great promo. You know what I mean? Jeff Hardy isn't a great promo. No. You know, Darby Allen is a great promo. But like, they have that kind of charisma where it doesn't matter. Roddy doesn't really have that, right? Darby's great at working around it, whereas Jeff was just so popular, it didn't matter. Because Jeff was just so fucking cool that it didn't matter. He didn't need to cut a promo. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't matter that he couldn't really cut a promo. Could they put him, in theory, with, like, Gulak and Charlie Dempsey? I mean, if I were going to do anything, like, like that would probably be my first idea if they were going to do anything in NXT with him. But, because the Diamond Mine's not really, like, he's already been kicked out of that or whatever. Because you could easily do, like, Gulak and Roddy as just, like, teachers for this next generation of, like, technical wizards who just beat the shit out of people. Yeah. That'd be cool. Um, that that could that could be an idea, but like, I just miss watching him fucking wrestle, man. He's already like he's already like I think he's like forty, you know, early forties maybe. Like he's he's been you know doing this at a very high level for twenty years. He's not going to do it forever, you know. He's still excellent in the ring. And, he's, like, and he's the messiah of the backbreaker for a reason. The guy's arsenal is insane. Yeah, I mean, but like, I just I miss watching him fucking work and like. He's not going to be around forever, man. Let him go. Let him let him fucking cook. Let Roddy cook, please. Let Roddy cook. 
again, I like, you know, that's the thing people always say, and we, we've said it here, you know. Uh, Roddy's not a main eventer because he's not a great promo. He's not a great character. And at the end of the day, I don't need him to be. I want to watch the most. I, I like watching pro wrestling, and he's a great fucking pro wrestler in that ring. He's so fucking good, man. So fucking good. WWE would never do it because I don't think they ever attract that many guys in that niche. But like having just like an actual like technical wrestler belt championship, like kind of like how the ROH pure title is. Yeah. But like WWE if I it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Roddy, Roddy was in Ring of Honor like during that time and never actually held the, uh, the pure title like the first time around that they had it. I'm pretty sure. So. Uh, that, which is, I think, is kind of interesting. That's a missed opportunity. Okay. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of figure whenever, whenever he gets out, that's where he's going. You know, he'll he'd probably be perfect in ROH. You know, like, you know, Tony Khan's a huge ROH mark. You know, he wants to bring back all those guys. He would be great in our. He would be like great in like the new ROH. He would be fantastic. Uh, but yeah, um, this match is fucking so fun. Again, it's exactly what it needs to be. It's exactly what it needs to be. It is a car crash. It's a bunch of crazy spots. You got your weapon shit. You got a guy flying off the cage. You got some big boys in this match doing big boy things. You got some big boys in this match doing like athletic things you wouldn't expect those big boys to do. It hits, brother. It is a hit all the way fucking through. Does not miss. Doesn't miss. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't miss. Uh, great match. And it's, it's a great reintroduction to the War Games format, right? Because they would take this and make this a staple. Now, you know, we're doing War Games every year. We're doing it every year on NXT. Once a year, we're doing NXT War Games. Now we've got, you know, because, because Triple H is in charge now uh, of creative on the main roster. He was like, hey, what are we doing? We're hitting the fucking War Games button immediately, baby. That was like one of the first things he did. It was like, hey, we're doing fucking War Games. Uh which I'm never going to argue with that, right? But he, uh, like, we're, we're doing that here. It was a great reintroduction to the fans of, like, okay. Like, a lot of them probably weren't, either weren't alive or weren't watching wrestling back when WCW was doing these regularly. You need to be reintroduced to the concept of what a War Games match is and reintroduced to the concept of, like, what can you really expect to see? Like, okay, this is what this is, but, like, what does it mean? Like, what kind of action is is is, is in the offing that can make me want to tune in to see this? Here it is. Let's just, you know, go fucking crazy. And it's, it, like, you could not ask for a better advertisement of future War Games matches than this one. Agreed. Even if it's a tr- kind of weird with the triple threat and like it's three guys for each team, have two teams of five, like you kind of get all, all you need to know from this match. It's like it's the perfect demo for this type. Yeah, it's fantastic. And a great ending to a terrific show. You know, NXT at this time, you knew certain as the fucking tides that NXT TakeOver comes on, you're getting... Two and a half hours of real ass shit. You're getting, you know, some of the best shit that you will see in pro wrestling today. And they, I mean, so consistently delivered at such an incredibly high level. It was, it was a run that we were really privileged to watch. And they fucking did it again here. Really, really fantastic stuff. 
So yeah, that'll wrap that up. Let's take it to our two and a half marks. Angelo, start us off. I'm going with a half mark to the double eclipse. Just, an again, a spot that looks perfect on replay over and over and over again. Uh, it's sold perfectly. It looks perfect. It's just so well done. A great punctuation to a chaotic four-way match. Uh, the double eclipse, again, just beautiful. My one mark is going to Alistair Black, Fortune Teller. It's there, it, That line now is just so poetic. It, it, you just can't help but wonder. It, it, and it leads into the Alistair Malachi Black gimmick of like someone that just knows things. Like, if you were to tell me Malachi Black can tell the future, I'd believe you. And I wouldn't think it's that far off. It's like, did he know this from the beginning? Did he know that Velveteen Dream would enjoy infamy for the rest of his life? Who knows? But I believe you. And then my two marks, it's going to big, thick boys and smaller technical flippy guys in the ring together. Just yeah. utter magical things happen when that uh, that occurs. It's why, like, even though the Braun Strowman Ricochet Alliance was very loosely built on a storyline, which it, it made sense in storyline, but it wasn't like the best story to get there of all time. But it's why no one's ever going to be mad because they, they have a big, strong boy and they have a flippy dude and they can do some really silly things like, you know, Ricochet doing a Swinton off of Braun Strowman's shoulders. Like you just put those two together. It's magic. And then in this main event, all these guys are either big, thick, meaty men or just like small, gentlemen, we love our big boys or small technical dudes who every smart loves and you put them all together. And what do you get? Utter magic. So big, thick boys, smaller, technical, flippy guys in the ring together. Never fails to entertain. They're big guys, ladies and gentlemen. Guys being dudes. We love our big guys. Yeah. So my my half mark is actually very similar to what you said, but it's a little broader. Um, I was like all the times that like they tell the future in this, like, in, like there's so many times where they like, like it, like there's like little hints to the future in this, in this, uh, in this show. Like, you mentioned the thing, the enjoy infamy, Elfie Dream. Like, he would enjoy infamy a little bit too much. You know? <laughs> um, there was, like, as I said, the, the Celtic Cross. I'm calling the Celtic Cross and the air raid crash. It's like, we, we didn't know that, you know, five years later that Drew and Sheamus would be a really fucking cool tag team uh, with a pornographic name. Um, you know, but that, that's a little hint to the future. And speaking of pornography... Um, you know, Lars Sullivan, you know, got a little bit too, got a little bit freaky at times, you know, we didn't know that at the time, but you know, he got a little freaky and it's not, not there's anything wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not denigrating him, but you know, we found out some things later that, uh, we, we didn't know at the time. So it, it, like, so it makes him complicated, you know? Um, so like, it's just, it's, it's fun watching these back and seeing like, like, it, like some of the things that people say and do kind of reflect the future in a very interesting and kind of funny way. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I'm giving my one mark uh, to like watching Roddy strong really get going. There is that section of the match where he just hands out all his fucking moves. Uh, he does like 40 backbreakers in a row. He does like 40 suplexes in a row. Um, and, he hits, and then he finishes off with the Olympic slam on Killian Dane. And it just reminds you that, like, Roddy Strong, and it, it, again, you know, I, we just talked about this a lot, but when that guy gets going, I mean, he is a force to be fucking reckoned with in the ring. I mean, as as good as it really gets, um, 
And again, I, I miss watching him so much, but like that guy is a fucking machine in that ring. Uh, just uh, really terrific, terrific stuff. Um, and I'm going to give my two marks to said it before the black mass best finisher in pro wrestling. And you know, there, there are some great finishers on this card. I love the claymore. I love the Kyrie Sane elbow. I love the eclipse. So fucking cool, man. We see some, some people with some cool finishers do them and they rule. But to me, the Black Mass is the single best finisher in pro wrestling from start to finish. Where he does the fucking thing where he like lifts the guy's head up with his foot and then spins into it. Always has his spacing perfect. Always has his fucking uh, placement perfect. Time, you know, he does the fucking. He probably he probably slaps the thigh, but whenever he does it, he times it perfectly. You never see it. You know, he does it. You know, perfect spin, perfect arc, perfect fucking like. Like, speed on the kick, it's, like, the most picturesque motherfucking thing you've ever seen. And it's so goddamn sick that I never know what to do with myself when I see it. It's so good. And I forgot to mention this during the match. They miss it the first time. They don't get it on camera the first time. They barely get it. Yeah. Which, that's just WWE camera work right there, baby. Also, speaking of WWE, 15% of the people that are viewed on this card, only 15% of them still with WWE today. What a fucking stat that is. None of them none of the main event guys are still with WWE. That's crazy. There's nine people in that fucking match. <laughs> what the fuck is that possible? <laughs> what the fuck? I didn't even think about that. That's insane. So it's what? It's just uh Nikki and Drew? Is that it? And, Zel- and Zelina. That's it. If you count Zelina who's not like a wrestler on the show. I included her. Twenty twenty people on the card. Three what? of them. Fuck, dude. That's insane. What the fuck? I cannot. That, that's that's crazy, man. What Vince McMahon should be in fucking <laughs> prison. He shouldn't be in prison. I just realized that, too. Unreal. 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 Unbelievable bag fumbling here, folks. What, like fucking, fucking Tiki Barber level fumbling up his <laughs> Great callback. Well, that'll wrap up our coverage. NXT TakeOver War Games 2017. Oh, Roddy Strong, I guess, technically, so four. Yeah, I guess I guess Roddy counts. But it's not like he's wrestling. It's not like he's on TV ever. He's kind of in a weird limbo, you know? So I guess Roddy counts, but yeah. He's, he's technically under contract. 20%. Sure, 20%. But that's still ludicrous. Ludicrous. So, that'll wrap up our coverage. So, let's hit the randomizer. Talk about what we're going to be watching next week on the pod. Are we Are we doing some shit? Are we doing a full episode next week? What are we doing? I, I, I forgot to uh, talk to you about this before. We, we, we got to figure out some logistics here. We can't, uh, I should be able to do a full episode next week, but I know that uh, starting the 11th, recording time is going to be tough. Yeah. We're going to figure that out. You know, we got some stuff going on. But we're going to figure out what we're going on uh, next week on the pod. So let's hit the randomizer, see what we're going to be doing next time. Uh, as I pull this up, Angelo, what are you feeling, my dude? I, I'm really kind of hoping right now for something for Mark's era or later WWE, like that mid-2000s range onwards, like whether it's guys that we grew up with or people that are still wrestling for WWE now. I feel like that would be a really interesting watch now. That's not what we're doing at all. Are we getting more uh, dead WCW shit? No, we're not. We're actually doing uh, – a really like we're going back to WWF 
kind of like peak attitude era WWF. Um, maybe not peak attitude era, but like a, a really tremendous time for WWF in terms of like they, they were just really on a on a good level here. Uh, WWF Backlash 2000. This is like before like like they WWF was killing it like all through 99 2000. They were driving the stake into the fucking hearts of WCW. Uh, and we got some good shit on this card. We have a Rock Triple H main event, the WWF Championship. And we have a Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho match, for the Intercontinental title. We got Eddie Guerrero. We got the Dudley Boys. Kurt Angle. We got, you know, the parties wrestling. You know, it's it's like we, we get a Dean Malenko, Scotty Too Hottie match. This is this a show. wild card. Yeah. it's It's like... Like they have the you know the 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 big WWF stars, uh, but they've also kind of like brought in a lot of the like most of the WCW guys that could still work, you know, because they weren't getting pushed there. And like the 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 WWF roster here was like really really pretty good. Uh, and so like this is this is probably going to be a pretty entertaining show. Uh, 2000, 2000 is probably like my favorite year of WWF or like one of my favorite years of WWF. So that'll be uh, next time on the two night parks podcast, WWF backlash 2000. So for my good friend, Angelo and Lisa, my name is David Stafford. Thanks everybody for listening.